0: We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Ben Connolly is with me, you, and Shauna. He's a pastor, author, equipper, and occasional professor. And he's the author of Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel.
1: So we thought it'd be fun to start with just, we want to get to know you a little bit. We want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us your faith story? How did you come into giving your life to Jesus?
2: Yeah, so I was raised in a religious home, and I thought it was a Christian home, but this is, you know, fairly stereotypical of Texas, if I can (laughs) kind of... (laughs) rat on my own culture a little bit. The very religious home did the church thing, was in church leadership, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I was older that my parents actually came to, to faith. Mm-hmm. And that created a little bit of like a disconnect in my mind, because we'd always done the good church thing, you know, but there was something different about mm-hmm. faith versus just religion in, in that moment for me. And then I, you know, kind of followed their pattern. Actually, I was I was baptized as a child, I was a youth pastor at age 18 but i really don't think i knew jesus until about two years into that which is not the right order for any you know (laughs) pastors looking to hire out there (laughs) and and so there's a little bit of regret i have in that and yet god God saved me through, in some ways, getting to, to be in ministry and teach the Bible to others and this kind of stuff. And so I'm really grateful for that, that aspect of the story. So I think I came to faith when I was about 20, um, and I was kind of walking across university campus, and just this thought hit me like a ton of bricks that if Jesus is real, he should matter to all of life. And, you know, it seems like a, an obvious statement now, 20-some years later, but at that moment for, you know, 20-year-old me... It was revolutionary. It was huge. And it really did start to change everything.
0: So what I hear you saying is that you grew up religious and even Bible believing, but you didn't know Jesus. You didn't understand the gospel. Your parents didn't. And then you, is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, you nailed it. We, we knew all the right things to do. And, you know, I don't know how much Judeo-Christian values would be a theme of today's culture, but, but it certainly was for, you know, 20 years ago in Texas. And so we kind of lived into those expectations. I could read the Bible, but miss the gospel.
0: if you will. <laughs> yeah. So what is the difference between religion and the gospel?
2: Oh man, that is, that is the question, isn't it? <laughs> A huge aspect of an answer to the question is that religion says it's, it's all about me. It's all on me. The, the pressure, the, the ability the knowledge, the strength, all that kind of stuff starts with me and ends with me. And it's about what I do or don't do. It's about what I know or don't know. It's about what I say or don't say. And the gospel says, it's actually not about me. It's not about any of us. It's about Jesus and him doing things that we can't do and him helping us believe the things that we can't believe and him helping us have faith in the things that we cannot conjure up faith in, in and of ourselves. And so it's, it's the fact that, by jesus through the power of the gospel god has accomplished for us everything that religion can't
0: here you are a uh, youth pastor and you you awaken to the reality that you don't know jesus you don't understand the gospel and so was that a shock to your system
2: yeah honestly i think in that moment I mean, it sounds cliche, but but truly everything changed. A lot of it for me was tied to, I was a guy who through high school and college just looked everywhere but Jesus for satisfaction. I did the the Jesus thing on Sundays and did the religious thing, was a good moral kid, but, but I was pretty dissatisfied. Leadership roles or girls my age, that kind of stuff with some regret, looked everywhere but Jesus. And mm-hmm. so some of the Jesus mattering to all of life was an awakening to the fact that yes, absolutely Jesus changes our eternity. Mm-hmm. the gospel changes our eternity but also the gospel changes our here and now and that was some of what led to the way that I pursued relationships with my roommates to the way that I viewed relationships with girls to the the way that I viewed any leadership or service opportunities to even the way you know I'd go and, and still you know teach the scriptures to, to teenagers because I was a youth pastor but it was less of a here's what the Bible says. Now it's on you to know it, do it, conjure up the strength, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and it was instead a slow transition that I think we're all still learning to go, okay, you can't do this. (laughs) And that's why we need Jesus. You can't conjure this up. You can't know everything about God. You can't always feel or experience the emotions or satisfaction or anything else by our own power and so it just started to change the way that i saw and then taught the scriptures to make it less about us and what we have to do and more about god and what he did for us through christ and does in us through the spirit
0: we're talking with ben Connolly. he's the author of the brand new book reading the bible missing the gospel and i can really identify with ben's story because you know i grew up in a religious family and my my dad was a very devout Catholic and my mom was Lutheran and you know, we did the church thing. It was very important. And I would say that Jesus was, was important as well, but it was more, it was more religion. It was more like trying to be a good person or this is what good people do. Mm -hmm. You go to church and you, you know, you do these things back in the, whatever it was in Sheboygan. But then my parents, you know, just, came alive to a relationship with Jesus and to what he has done for us, not what we do for him. And that is a massive shift. And it, it just, it transformed our whole family mm-hmm. just like with Ben's.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we, you know, we, we probably have people around us and maybe you're yourself, you're thinking, man, I've been going to church and and I'm very concerned about doing what is right and what is good. And I, you know, show respect and honor to God, but I'm kind of missing what you're talking about as far as this relationship is concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the focus being on Jesus and not being on myself. Man, we would love to talk to you this morning about that. Our number here is 800-968-8930, 800-968-8930.
0: Somebody has put it really simply that religion is spelled D-O. Mm-hmm. It's just things we do to try to get God to love us. And the gospel spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's trusting in, clinging to, relying on Jesus. The shift from it's all on me, you know, Mm -hmm. for my salvation, for forgiveness, for heaven, for whatever, to it's all on you, Jesus.
1: Yeah. And even when you are walking in relationship with Jesus, the enemy still tries to plant this stuff in our heads. And so we have to battle it daily. You know, Lord, it's not about me. I had the conversation with him this morning. You know, I just, oh, Lord, it's, you know, help me to focus on you and keep my eyes fixed on you, trusting you. It's not about me. It's not about the way I performed yesterday. It's about you. This whole mentality that, you know, Jesus is the God of my religion. When it comes Mm -hmm. to anything spiritual, Jesus is my go-to, but that's all contained to this realm of church and ministry and prayer. And it doesn't seep into every, you know, my sexuality, (laughs) my relationships. You know, if Jesus is real, he should matter to all of my life. That really is the switch where you go, oh, wow.
2: Yeah. And a lot of us have heard and and even been taught, and there's some evangelistic methods that teach this, that kind of Jesus, I'm going to say this kind of tongue in cheek, the gospel is a past event that greatly benefits my future. (laughs) And that's all it is, but that's missing so much. It's it's not, not those things. It, it is a historically past event. It is something that we, we each, if we believe in Jesus experienced personally in our past, there's a moment where we didn't believe. And then we did got brought from darkness to light, this kind of stuff. And it does greatly benefit our future, but if it's just a, you know, to sound cliche, get out of hell free card mm-hmm. or fire insurance, or I get to go to heaven. While all those things are true, we're missing that middle third and the present realities, the present impact of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and reign. I think one of the one of the most beautiful things, and again, like we can just scratch the surface today because there's unending depths to the way that the gospel impacts our present. But for example, one of the ways that that we often miss the gospel's impact on the present is even kind of how we relate to the concept of forgiveness. That if we read, this, read the scriptures, even, we see all through the Old Testament, you know, God's people making sacrifices to atone for their sin and the command, you know, to ask God for forgiveness, even for those who are his people, the command to ask God for forgiveness is seen over and over and over and over again. And we can become so kind of familiar with that, Um, that we can miss that there's a massive change in the New Testament. After Jesus's death and resurrection, for followers of Jesus, there are actually zero commands to ask for God's continued forgiveness of sin. And I want to be very careful here. Like when we sin against people, yes, let's ask forgiveness. When we first come to Jesus, we ask for forgiveness for sin. But rather than this asking for something in hopes that God would meet us in that in the moment, the command changes in the New Testament. And now it's confess. It's go to God and acknowledge, hey, I didn't do this again. Hey, I didn't reflect to you again. Hey, I didn't have faith in this. But And it seems like maybe a, a subtle or semantic shift, but I think it just makes a world of difference. Because if we have to go to God over and over and over again and ask for forgiveness, then A, it puts us in this posture of like, what if this one's too bad for him to forget? Mm-hmm. Um, what if this one crossed the line? What if this one counts me out. But the other thing it does is just minimizes Jesus's work on the cross. And so a lot of times we'll hear sometimes in the same sermon, sin's been removed as far as the East is from the West, but also every time you sin, even though you're already a Christian, you have to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. Confession on the other hand, which is the biblical response to sin in a Christian's life is instead again saying, God, man, I've, I've missed it again. But as a lot of church traditions remind us after confession, comes the real beauty, which is assurance. And assurance is to say, hey, yeah, you did miss it again. But remember the whole, it's not about you part. Mm. God has already forgiven that. And so there's no possibility for those who are believers to sin too much or for this one to be too much because Jesus has already forgiven all of our sin. And so again, like we can miss that aspect, even when we read the scriptures, but the difference in asking God's forgiveness versus going to God to confess is really free. When we just get to confess and be reminded that yes, his death even covered this thing. Like it's a lot of freedom. Whereas a lot of the ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness mindset ends up putting a lot of guilt and shame on us.
0: I think at the end of the day, it's about, Trusting what Jesus has done for us, realizing that He has taken care of a hundred percent of my sin debt, and coming to Him with that approach—that yeah, there are things that still need to be changed in my life. There are still sins I commit, mm-hmm. and I—I I do need His cleansing. I do need His forgiveness. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of a mystery. I come to Him honestly, ask for forgiveness. I'm already forgiven. Mm-hmm. So I'm confessing what's already forgiven, but it's 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 part of this just being honest with God and coming closer to him through asking for forgiveness. It makes the relationship closer. So when I come to God, it's not about earning forgiveness and I can ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, it says in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who sin against us. I think what Ben is getting at is that we got to get out of this mindset of, I've got to do something. I've got to perform in order to get God to love me.
1: Yeah. And that we would, you know, Lord help us to fully understand how forgiven we are and to, in the moments when we have hurt your heart to lean in to you, not to pull away, but to lean in with honesty, you know, genuinely sharing where we fell short and trusting and knowing that you have forgiven us and that we are dearly and deeply loved. Thank you, Father. The gospel is it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And yet I'm reading, you know, confess and repent, like confess, yeah. but don't keep doing it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Talk to that. Yeah. And I think there's something there that's like, yes, absolutely. The When we realize sin in our life. So repentance in and of itself is is literally just turning from something. Um, turning from something to something better. And so, you know, a lot of the times when we image repentance today, it's a very damning kind of mentality. It's a, you know, somebody standing on a street corner going, repent, repent, repent. Mm -hmm. But repentance is actually more of an invitation to go like, Hey, there, there are a lot of things that are claiming to be good news for you. And there are a lot of things that are temptations are a lot of people that you're putting your hope in there's a lot of societal issues that that seem to be you know causing your joy to rise and fall and so repentance ends up being more of an invitation to to say Jesus is better than all those things it's it's not as much of a repent or else kind of mindset. That's, it's instead going, Hey, I offer true life Mm -hmm. and the things you're putting your, your, hope in offer only death. And so there's a consistent invitation to, to turn from those things, you know, or as Paul would say, you know, should I continue to sin so that grace may increase? No, absolutely not, but we're going to continue to sin. And so repentance ends up being more of an invitation than it is a mentality.
0: The way I look at it is that when I come to God with my sin, I'm confessing what God already knows, of course, but I'm confessing sins that are already forgiven.
1: That's
2: right. Yeah. But we miss that, I think, in the common Christian culture. And so we almost go back to an Old Testament mindset of having to offer some sacrifice back to God to earn his forgiveness again, or the the tradition of penance comes from that. What do you have to do to work off your sin? But a lot of us have that somewhere in the back of our minds. There's such a guilt, shame thing in us that it's so hard to believe that, hey, no, literally everything has already been forgiven one time in on the cross.
0: Yeah, we can make confession a work to get mm-hmm. God's favor. I've done that.
2: That's right. Yeah, it's so easy to do. So that's one example of how the gospel, the depths to which the gospel changes our life that frankly, a lot of us just miss, whether we practice overt confession as some traditions do, or whether in our minds, there's just some, you know, subtle subconscious
0: penance. You know, just for me, there is this ongoing struggle and battle with sin in my life. Mm -hmm. And whether it's I don't know. It's, it's really often sins in my heart. It's motivations in my heart. It's attitudes in my heart. It's the sin that's underneath the sin. You know, I don't necessarily act out in really wild and crazy ways, but my heart is where the thing begins. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's jealousy. It's greed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all those things that are still in my heart that can make me want to try to earn God's favor because I know there's something still not right within me. And just to to rest in the in the work of Christ and to honestly bring those things before Jesus, knowing I'm already forgiven, but but the confession just I may I think makes me more like Christ mm-hmm. and it removes that closeness that that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit want to have with me.
1: I think there I, I struggle with the same thing, Perry, and I think there's a you know, a temptation in that to focus on ourselves, you know, and to say, oh, you know, I'm not doing well. I'm not good enough. I'm not this, that, and the other. And even, you know, when you said to rest in his love, we have this invitation to rest in his love. Even that can be like, okay, how do I do that? You know, honestly, but it's like, I think, I think the secret sauce is just keeping our eyes focused on him, you know, instead of being focused on, how well I've done or how yeah. poorly I've done or whatever, me at all right. is just to reshift my focus. So like fix my gaze on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and just keep looking to him again and again.
0: So Ben, there's a wrong way to read the Bible and there's a right way to read the Bible. Show us how to read it the right way.
2: Yeah, I will. As long as it's in the caveat of, you know, it's not like a three steps or your money back guaranteed kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> kind of mindset. I'm looking um, for the
0: silver bullet, dude.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> there's, there's not one of those in my book or any, even those that claim to, to offer it. Yeah. If, if I can kind of change the posture of it a little bit, it's more of, hey, if we can learn to kind of see the scriptures through these lenses or, or with this worldview, Then we move from kind of this religion, it's about me kind of mentality into, I think, how God intended the Bible to be read. And so the first is to say, the Bible is not primarily about me. Mm -hmm. It's not designed primarily for my knowledge or as a list of rules for me to follow or even as devotional kind of bits, inspirational bits for me to feel good about myself. That's not why the Bible primarily exists. The primary character of the Bible is God. And so the, the first kind of lens is to, to see the Bible as God's story, not ours. And then with that, if we can start with that and see God as the main character, then, then we can go, okay, what does this mean for humans? Who are humans in the Bible? And, and am I like them? And a lot of times, like we would love to be the hero. We'd love to be kind of the Christ figure in a lot of the stories. But, but if we're honest, we're more, you know, Israel hiding and scared in need of a king like David to come and conquer the Goliaths kind of thing. Most of us, if we're honest, don't have what it takes to stand up to the proverbial Goliaths in our lives. And so, if we can relate on an honest level to to the humans we see in the scriptures, then we actually get a better picture of who we are. And who we are is those who are in need, those who cannot do, those who cannot accomplish. Plus, even if, you know, we pictured ourselves as the, the David in that story, for example, we know that David was not perfect either. Um, and He had a lot of failure in his life and he was finite. And so who humans are in the Bible is those in need of the main character to be the main character. We all need God to be God and relinquish our right that we have in our minds to be the main character, even of our own lives. And then finally, if it's, if it's see the Bible as God's story, then discover our posture, human posture in the Bible. Then kind of the third lens is to go, okay, how does every verse, every story, every command point to Jesus, who is both the hero, the true hero of the big story and all the stories of the Bible, but he's also the fulfillment or the redeemer of them. And so we can read the commands and we can know, hey, you know what? Only Jesus fully fulfilled this command. Only he was infinite. Only he was perfect. And he did these things on our behalf because we are not infinite and we are not. Perfect. And so, if we can learn to see the Bible through those lenses, then I think we have a better starting point for what we said earlier, which is that, hey, the Bible's not actually primarily about me. The Bible's actually about God and it's his story.
0: And that said, it's amazing that God, though the story is about him, invites us into the story to partner with him to repair the world. You know, we see yeah. this from the very beginning that God asked Adam and Eve to partner with him. We lost that, but through Jesus, we get to be renewed into partnership with God to heal the world. He could do it himself, but he asks, He invites us to do it. That's so amazing.
2: Yeah. And not only does he invite us to do it, because I I 100% agree, but if we stop there, then it's kind of like, okay, well, now I have to step up into that. I have to be Mm -hmm. able to conjure up my role in it. And he does invite us into that and has throughout all of history, which is amazing. But we also see, even in Adam and Eve, what happens when we try to do it by our own power turns out we're going to give in to temptation and fail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not only does God invite us into his mission, he also empowers us with his power to carry it out. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is, again, like both the hero and the redeemer, the fulfillment. If the whole story is a story about God, then all of a sudden Paul's words of, you know, his strength is made all the more beautiful in my weakness and that kind of stuff become more real because it's only when we come to the end of our strength whether it's trying to fulfill God's mission or obey any of the other, you know, what is it? 613 commands just in the old Testament or that kind of stuff. When we realize, Hey, we can't, then we realize where our true strength comes from.
0: Ben Connolly, author of the brand new book, reading the Bible, missing the gospel. And my takeaway just very simply is that Jesus is the only hero of the Bible. Mm
1: -hmm. He's the hero. That's it.
0: You know, there are many, people who do great things and live out great lives. And Paul, I could say Paul is one of my heroes, but if you come right down to it, Jesus is the only real true hero.
1: Right. Cause when you read the stories of the Bible, the heroes point to God. I mean, think of like David and Goliath, you know, and taking down the giant and it wasn't about what David could do. It was, you know, about what God is like, you're coming against God. Mm -hmm. I think there's something for us in that too. Like as we long to be the hero of our own story, Mm -hmm. that happens as we set our hearts on God being the one who's glorified in our life.
0: Mm -hmm. If we look at the heroes of the Bible, if we look at the characters in the Bible and think, well, I got to live up to those virtues, it becomes religion. It becomes Mm -hmm. just trying harder. When if you really look at those, all those quote unquote heroes, they had flaws, Mm -hmm. they had failures, they had, they were needy, just like, just like me and you. So it is God's story, but he does invite us into his story by forgiving us. And he does empower us by his Holy Spirit to partner with him to repair the world. But all that said, at the end of the day, I'm still needy and I still need Jesus.
1: Right. And if he can use them, maybe he can use me too.
0: Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.